0: So this morning I want us to turn to Hebrews chapter 5. I'm pretty sure we've probably heard a message on this topic before, but um, I was doing a study with the guys in prison on Hebrews chapter 5, and this section of Hebrews chapter 5 stuck with me. And so the the passages, Hebrews 5, 11, through 14 and then 6, 1 and 2. So I'll read it all and then we'll um, see what the Lord has to say. Concerning Him, we have much to say. It is hard to explain since we have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And so here, it's interesting, here in Hebrews chapter 5, well, the book of Hebrews is all about warning the Hebrew believers who are wanting to walk away. That they're feeling like, you know, it'd just be easy to go back to the synagogue. It'd be easy just to, slip back into that old religion that we came out of. And so, the whole book of Hebrews is about the the supremacy of Christ. How Christ is far superior than angels, than Moses, than um, the high priest. And so, in this section, chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 5, he's, Talking about how Christ is the is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, that like Melchizedek, Christ has no beginning, his priesthood has no beginning, and it has no end. he doesn't have to have a descendant because he accomplished everything that most high priests would have to do every year, but he says there's a problem. I want to teach you more about this, so he stops. He's like mid-argument, and he, the, the the writer, mid-argument is saying, well, here, verse 11, I have much more to say about him, Christ, and Melchizedek, but it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain. And this is like, well, why is it hard? They're Jews, they should know the story of Melchizedek, and actually most... Um, Most Jewish rabbis would think of Melchizedek as a figure of Christ, a pre-incarnate Christ, possibly even. And so the Jews saw Melchizedek as the perfect example in the Old Testament of a high priest. Because, like what we just said, Melchizedek, there's no genealogy for Melchizedek. He came out of nowhere. And there's no end to Melchizedek's priesthood because we don't know what happened. There's just this one story in the middle of Abraham's life where Abraham gives Melchizedek a great offering. And we see that he's called a priest and a king. And actually the king of Salem, which was Old Testament way of saying Jerusalem. So... He, he wants to say more things, but the problem is it's too hard. Why? Well, the second part of verse 11 is clear. It says, since you have become dull of hearing. So the problem is not that they don't know true things of the word or that they don't haven't heard about Melchizedek, or that they haven't heard about Christ, because they're, they're believers, that's who he's talking to. The problem is that they are no longer able to hear. That actually that word dull could be translated better sluggish to hear. Or lazy. Or we could even translate that whole section to say you know longer try to understand. That's what the author is trying to say. He's saying, I want to teach you, but you don't want to listen. You're not paying attention. And and just in case we're worried about this, the problem is not a lack of intelligence. It's not that they can't understand. It's that they don't want to understand. And we oftentimes, I think, for myself, this happens. We get bogged down with things. Oftentimes, the gifts that God gives us become more important than the intimacy, intimacy with God that we had. That it's not necessarily that sin is keeping us from God always. It's sometimes the gifts that God has given us become more important than knowing Him. Kind of like, I don't know if you remember the parable of the wedding supper. Remember the king sent out his servants to tell the people around him, I'm having a wedding feast for my son. Come. Well, they had excuses. They all did. I mean, one, he's like, oh, I just bought a field. I need to go check it out. The other said, oh, I just bought an ox. I need to go make sure it works well. Another said... Oh, I just got married. I need to take care of my wife. And those are not bad things. That's that's the thing. God's gifts are not bad. The problem is when they we elevate them to a level where that is more important. I, I feel like lands, that that kind of lands and oxen kind of fall under possessions and work. They're busy. That was their main excuse. They were busy. And then family can take precedence over God for all of us, if we're not careful. And so, I think that's a part of it. it they're suffering from a lack of, I think this is a, a good way of putting it, they're suffering from arrested spiritual growth. They started well, because this is what we find out in verse 12 when we get there. They started well, but something happened. They had heard the elementary principles of the oracles of God, but something had happened. And their desire had fallen off. That lack of desire started because something became more important than Christ. It's interesting, uh, I was reading a commentary and the guy made a note that there was a guy who did research on revivals through the ages and After the majority of, like, the the two great awakenings in the United States, shorthand was really popular. And if you don't know what I mean by shorthand, the ability to take notes in shorthand so that you could take notes. So in the churches, shorthand became so popular. Why? Because people had to have the Word, and they wanted to remember it. They wanted to listen with their hearts. They wanted to know what God's Word said. Why? They weren't taking notes just so that they could stash it away and then maybe a hundred years later show it to their kids. Look what I learned. No. It was so that they could go back and, and ask the Lord, how can I apply this to my life? And I'm, I'm sure many of you, when you became Christians, that was the same way, right? We all, I mean, and we all go through periods where we're like, oh, I just don't feel like taking notes today. I know it's harder for me with kids because when you're trying to teach them to sit, <laughs> you're in and out. So, um, But that being said, oftentimes we allow things or our desires to wane. And it keeps us from being diligent hearers. That's the opposite of a sluggish hearer, hearer right? Uh, being a diligent hearer. Just in case you're looking for a title, it's kind of a strange one, but uh, it's a question. Are you choking on rice? <laughs> I think that's, the point is that even the smallest solid food with our baby James, in the beginning when he started eating solid food, if that rice wasn't ground down to like pretty much liquid, he would just be like, ugh. <coughs> He wasn't used used to taking that food in. And so, even though many of us start off well, we've eaten that solid food and we love it, there's been a regression. And I'm not saying, I don't know why this message is today. I, I have to be honest. I know it's for me, um, because it's so easy for me to slip back into old routines and to, to become lazy. This condition that he's talking about here in, of dull hearing or sluggish, lazy listening, is it's acquired and it's characterized by an inability to listen to spiritual truth. And we see this all the time people say, well, that is, that's that's too hard. That's That doctrine is too hard to hear. But that's not, it shouldn't be too hard. If If we hunger for the Lord, yes, I'm not saying that some doctrines aren't hard to understand. But what I'm saying is that our desire to listen should not be changed because something is hard. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in and, and enables us to hear His Word. There was a Puritan pastor named Richard Baxter, and he wrote probably one of the best books on being a pastor, and he said this about this specific subject. He said, Make it your work with diligence to apply the Word as you're hearing it. Cast not illusion... How did I put this? Cast not the illusion on the minister as those that will go no further, than they are carried as by force. You have work to do as well as the preacher, and should all the time be as busy as he, you must open your mouths and digest it, for another cannot digest it for you. Therefore be all the while at work and abhor an idle word in hearing." as well as an idle, sorry, a idle hearer in hearing as well as an idle minister. So oftentimes we come to church and we're like, oh, he's gotta he's gotta bring something really magnificent. But oftentimes the issue is our expectation. We're not coming with the desire to hear from God. And so I felt this before, where it just like no one wants to hear what you have to say. I'm not saying that's not the case. I know there are people here that want to hear, but sometimes when you're preaching, kind of like uh, Bobby talked about a couple of weeks ago, when you're singing, it's the same. If we're not here to hear from the Lord, if we're not drawing it out of the minister, oftentimes we think we leave the the, the sermon and we're like, "Man, that was dry as." And maybe it was, (laughs) but God can use dry preachers too, inexperienced preachers, experienced preachers. It doesn't, the problem is typically with us because one person may say to you, man, that was a really good message. And the other one's like, man, I need to get some real food because that was, that tasted like oats without any, uh, any butter and, brown sugar, you know. But there there's a part where we're caught is calling us to be diligent in hearing the word. And uh Kent Hughes, he has a really good commentary on Hebrews, and he said this in a way so that we can combat spiritual laziness. He says, as we hear God's word, we ought to keep our Bible open and follow the argument that's being brought forth look up the references mentioned take notes identify the theme list the subpoints and applications and ask god to help us see exactly where he wants us to apply the scriptures being preached i think that's the if we leave here knowing doctrine but don't know how to apply it what's the point or if we know how to apply it, but we don't have the doctrine and we get halfway through applying something and we were like, oh, wait, why am I doing this? I I have this problem in, in my work. If I don't know why I'm doing something, it's hard for me to justify doing it. Um, and I had a really good teacher in one, one, one job and he would constantly explain to me, okay, this is why you put tape here, or this is why you um, nail this, put a, a flashing here. And uh, one of his expressions was, think like water. Well, I use that expression all the time now. And when you're doing exterior work, you, you need to think like water. Water wants to destroy your home. So <laughs> you got to flash everything, make sure water can't get behind. So because I know why I do it, And it's the same thing for many of us in our Christian walk. If we don't know why we're doing something, then eventually we're not going to do it. And in the same way, if we have all this head knowledge, we have all this understanding, we've set under the Word for years and years and years, but if we never apply it, it becomes dead. It's, It's useless. I think that's where we get in verse 12. If we look at verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. So what's he saying? He's saying by now you should be adequate teachers. He's not saying you should all be pastors. or No, what he's saying is you should be able to teach others and disciple others. But the problem is right now you're like babies. And you have to be retaught the elemental teachings of God. I know this isn't a popular message, but he is warning the Hebrew Christians because he's concerned for their souls. If you, if you were to look down in verse 4 through 8 of chapter 6, it's one of the harshest, strongest warnings that you see in the book of Hebrews. Of people falling away. Because what he sees is it's not just a matter of you're staying a spiritual baby for the rest of your lives. It's an issue of if you are not growing, you are slowly falling away. That's what happened. It's possible that these people were growing up and they were near maturity enough to teach these elementary principles but what happened they stopped practicing it they stopped taking it in and before long they came to a place where they were not able to eat solid food anymore that they had to go back to the milk i mean this picture is kind of uh for lack of a better word, it's kind of grotesque. I mean, could you imagine an, a grown adult person nursing? That's the picture he's painting here, especially in verse 13. Like, or could you imagine walking through the mall and seeing some, some guy or some young woman sucking on their thumb? Like A 20-year-old? No. Or they had a pacifier in. That's the picture that he's painting here. He's saying, you should be. You have had time. You have been taught. But the problem is, something happened. Something has stagnated your growth. And something is keeping you from growing. Because you are not applying this truth to your lives. If we know the word but can't apply it, it it has no value. If we say, oh, I believe this, and yet our lives are preaching a different message, then eventually we have to be retaught everything. I think of the expression that we use all the time. It's use it or lose it. How many of you all know that expression and have uh, a lot of us those of us who've gone to college, if you don't use it, you forget everything. There's actually a comedian that said he could he could teach you in five minutes what you would take you five years in college to to remember that in five minutes he could teach you everything that you would remember after five years of college. <laughs> I know that's a joke, but I mean, oftentimes we commit things to short-term memory. We commit our, our lives, even God's Word, to short-term memory instead of long-term. Why? What happens? We memorize, we, we hear these messages, but we don't apply it. When we apply it, it becomes real. It becomes living and active. That's what makes God's Word living and active is experiencing the truth that we hear. It's not that they haven't heard the elementary principles. right? He's saying you have to be taught again. It's not that they didn't understand it in the beginning, but because they didn't apply it, they don't anymore. They, they can't move up. They can't move on. If we look at Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is quoting Isaiah here. Matthew 13 verse 12. So Jesus is constantly talking to them in parables. And so the disciples ask, why are you you constantly telling us things in parables? In verse 11, actually, I'll read that. To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand in their case, a prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. I don't want to be like the Jews, who've rejected the truth that the gospel is true, that Christ is the Messiah. But that's what's happening for the Jews. Just think about this. They came out of Judaism, became Christians. For them to slip back into synagogue, it's not like it was a far fall away, right? They were still hearing the Old Testament. Things weren't totally different. So for these Hebrew people, it's much like my generation who grew up in the church. It's easy to kind of slip back into a mediocre or nominal Christian life. To say all the right, we know all the right words, we know all the the lingo, but the problem is our lives aren't Controlled by the Lord. Our lives are not committed to following Him. So I, I have a couple of questions for myself. These are kind of hard questions, but they're important for us. The question should be, do I know the elemental truths well enough to teach others? I think that's a really important question. For to see where am I? Where is my relationship with the Lord? Am I how long have I been walking with the Lord? I've been walking with the Lord almost whew, over twenty years. Am I able to teach the elementary truths of the gospel? Not just with words, but with my life? with the way that i treat others cuz those should affect the way we live right just as the mature teachings of doctrine the next one is I, am i heart am i hard to teach because i'm dull of hearing this one's a it's a hard question to ask like if i go to a church am i not going to listen because it's it's too hard because I, I don't want to work to hear? Or if somebody else is preaching, whatever. And the last one is Am I growing? Am I, am I a growing and learning Christian? Because this is, I'm not saying that there are times when we feel like, man, I, am, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm going anywhere. But if we look back, we see that God is constantly working in our lives. Because as Christians, we're either growing into Christ, becoming more like Christ, or we're slowly falling away. Casting Crowns has a song called A Slow Fade. And that song gets me every time I, I hear it because when we fall away, it's not like... I don't think any of us know somebody that just dropped off the planet of Christianity. It took years, and they would tell you the same thing. It took them years to fall away. One compromise after another. One realization, I I don't understand the gospel. I'm trying to work for my salvation or, or whatever it may be. In verse 13, if you turn back to Hebrews chapter 5. I should have kept my finger there. Verse 13 says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant again that picture again could you imagine a a mother coddling a a 20 year old young man <laughs> i hope not that's not right and that's what he's he's talking about the spiritual well-being it's like you are being treated like an infant when you have grown in the word you should have Grown and be teaching others and discipling the lost, but there's a problem. Your development has become arrested. It's it's stopped. And this passage again emphasizes that a static status quo Christianity Christianity is a delusion. We we can't just be in one place. Why? Because God has called us to be like Him. And what does it say? We won't be completely like Him until we see Him face to face. We're constantly growing up in Him. Does it look different how that growth happens? Absolutely. We're not We're not left to some specific way of, of growing. Like our growth, God is showing everyone in this room something different today, in a sense. And God is given us strengths in in different areas of faith and whatever it may be. We all have a gift from the Lord that He is developing in us so that we can be used in His kingdom, but He's also given us abilities and desires in specific areas of even doctrine and understanding of the Lord. Because of where we came from, because of what we've gone through in our lives, we have a more solid understanding of different areas. That's why we're in a church. You know, Bobby's talking about healing this morning and he has a strong delight in that. And and somebody else may have a strong delight in salvation and God's grace to them. And in all those areas, we're building each other up. And we're all given light and we're being, we should be teaching one another the things that God has shown us. I, I was thinking just a little while ago about how I remember the stories that we would hear about the old days when after the service y'all would all go together. I don't know how how many are here that was in those days, but you would go and hang out and talk about what God was showing you. And I think we've lost that. And I don't know why. I don't know why because that's what I want to do. I want to sit around and talk about what God is teaching me. I want to sit around and, and see what God is teaching my brothers and sisters in Christ. But I don't know, is it possible that in a sense some of us have become dull of hearing? Myself? I'm not excluding myself. I'm not excluding myself. So here he, he talks about the reason. So here's the reason why they become dull of hearing in verse 13. What does he say? He says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. What is he talking about here? What is this word of righteousness? What is it that is so important? I think if you look down in, in verse six or chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, we see what he's talking about. He says, so this is, I think, a two-pronged answer. I think there's a doctrinal view and a practical view. There's two problems that are going on here. So, the first thing here says, therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ. Now, that does not mean throwing the elementary principles of Christ away. What is he saying? He's saying, and then we see on verse, in the second half of that, that sentence, he says, let us press on to maturity. It's saying like we've built that foundation. The elementary principles are the foundation for our Christian walk. So what are those those uh, those things? He says, Let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So these are two. There's three pairs here. And this first pair is talking about the relationship between repentance and faith. So we're repenting of dead works. What are those works? Those are works that are trying to attain salvation on our own but are evil. Why? Because we are lost. We're trying in our own strength. And then the other side is faith toward God. Without the two... We don't have salvation. And I'll prove this if you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Nope, sorry. Yeah, Romans chapter 10. And Paul here, he's talking about his love for his brothers, the Jews. And he says here, you know, my prayer is for their salvation. They have a zeal for God, but they don't have it according to knowledge. In verse 3, he says, For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. So they were seeking to be righteous of their own works. Those were dead works. But what does Paul say here? He says, for Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. So the righteousness comes from Christ. It's not because of what they've done, but because they believed in Christ. Then verse 5, for Moses writes that man... The man who practices the righteousness which is based on a law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based or found, founded on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. What's he saying? He's saying we can't say that because Christ came down to us. Of his free will. He came because he loved us. And then it says, and we can't say that we are going down to the grave to bring him up. Why? Because he was raised in resurrection power. That's what he's saying. And he says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. We have the word near us. God is pouring it into our hearts. Why? So that, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is not of works. It's not of our reaching out to bring Christ down or Going down and trying to raise Christ from the dead, that is already accomplished. It was all in his power. And verse 10, I think, is really important to understanding Hebrews chapter 5. For with the heart, a person believes. And what's the result? Righteousness. Resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. So we have the two being played off each other. That our faith brings righteousness. Our faith in the power of Christ, in the righteousness of Christ, is imputed to us. And that when we confess He is Lord of our lives, we are given salvation. It takes faith We have to believe that Jesus is who he is and he's done what he has done and that his word is true before we can confess. So it's almost like it takes faith to get repentance. So back to Hebrews chapter 5. A verse, actually chapter 6, because that's what we're looking at. that our repentance here that from dead works begins because we see the gravity of our sin. This is the gospel that he's talking about. That is what he's talking about. We have to understand the gospel, that it is of grace and not of works, that we are not justified by the works of the law. And then verse 2, he says, this is the second pair of instruction about washings and laying on of hands. And... If you think about this, so the Jews had all these ritual washings, that some were washing their cups, and everything had to be washed. Well, what do we have as Christians? Baptism. So he's talking about baptism. That's one of the elementary principles. And then, what's the laying on of hands? Well, the Holy Spirit. He's talking here about the Holy Spirit, and that when the laying on of hands in the Old Testament was Constantly associated with God giving someone power to exercise an office, whether it was the high priest, a king, whoever it was, when the hands were laid on them, God would send His Spirit to empower them for the work that He had made them for. In the same way, I think this is talking to us, that when we are filled with the Spirit, we are that is an essential part of our Christian walk. I would, I would say all of us, when that happened, it was an amazing experience for us. And talk about the hunger of the Lord, hunger for His Word, hunger for the things of God. And then the last. So we kind of have the, the, the first part of the gospel there, now the second the next step, and then the last one, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So this is, I believe, he's talking about the entire full gospel. He's not leaving anything out. We need to know. We need to know that we will be resurrected from the dead. That's our hope, right? And we need, we must know that eternal judgment is coming. It's one of God's ways of keeping us, right? And that's why I I believe that Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews is writing this letter to warn them. Why? Because he doesn't want to see them fall away. He knows eternal judgment is coming and he wants them to see that God has a way of escape. That even though they may die for their faith, why? Because persecution is coming. That even though that might happen, they have a hope that's far greater. They have resurrection from the dead. And that if they don't stay with it, if they fall away, back away, give up, then eternal judgment is coming. So here we see the doctrinal side the 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 part of righteousness where it's doctrine. We need to understand the gospel. We need to understand that it's not of us. It's it's we need to be constantly, in in my sense, preaching the gospel to ourselves. And uh, there's a There's a a man that wrote a book about this. His name was Jerry Bridges. And he said about this, he said, "...to preach the gospel to yourself then means that you continually face up to your own sinfulness and then flee to Jesus through faith in His shed blood and righteous life. It means that you appropriate again by faith the fact that Jesus fully satisfied the law of God." That he is your propitiation and that God's holy wrath is no longer directed toward you. I mean, we constantly need that, right? When we're feeling down, when we're feeling like, why am I fighting this fight? Why is it, why do I feel like I'm constantly losing? We need to be preaching the gospel. It's not in you, it's in Christ. Why? So that we can go deeper. If. If we don't understand other doctrines or or aren't able to apply difficult issues that we are... If we aren't able to apply God's Word to more difficult issues that we're encountering in our lives, it's possible that our problem is that we haven't applied the Gospel to our lives completely. That we've forgotten that in the way we treat others. Realizing that I shouldn't expect a sinner to be holy. (laughs) We shouldn't expect sinners. We should expect sinners to lie and steal and kill and do all those things. Why? Because they haven't been transformed. So we should expect them to treat us badly. But our response should be the response of Christ. Show them the love of Christ in the midst of them taking it. So, for example, in a business deal, you know they're not a Christian, And then we act surprised when they treat us, try to cheat us out of something. And we as Christians need to apply the gospel to our lives. I'm going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We see this again. Sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 20 and 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. Of God in Him. We are His ambassadors to the world. But the problem is, we don't understand the gospel. If we don't understand truth, how can we teach others? And if we don't build on that truth, if we just say, you know what, I've heard this in some churches, I think uh, there's a change in this direction, but um, a lot of churches, they preach the gospel every Sunday, the same message. And they're not, they're not going deeper. It's just a shallow message. We don't need to constantly, we can bring the gospel back in and say, this is why the gospel is so important to understand what God is saying here about this, whatever it may be. But we need to go deeper, not because it makes us greater, but so that we can have a greater understanding of who God is, We can grow in maturity, and so that we can teach others. So that we can disciple others. So that we can see the lost saved and grow into maturity and see them used by God to reach others. That's what the Christian walk is about. We should be multiplying, not, uh, what's the word, the other, dividing, (laughs) not multiplying. Without a solid understanding of the word of righteousness, we will not live righteously. And without living righteously, we will fail to understand the doctrines that we claim to follow. And we'll regress and regress until we have fallen away. So we have to have both. As he's talking about they're not a custom. And I think verse 14 really hammers down on application of. As we get there, what does he say there? He says, but solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. This word that's translated here, who because of practice... Really actually is who because of maturity is a better way of reading this. What is he saying? He's saying that because of their maturity, that practice has brought about maturity. Because they are mature, their senses are trained to discern good from evil. It's just as a little baby, when they start eating solid food, they don't know what's good and bad. I have a, a kind of a gross illustration, but I don't know if I should use it, but I think I will. Children like to pick their boogers, right? I know it's a gross illustration, but it's true. I think it's a good illustration, and they'll put it in their mouth. And then, what do we have to teach them? No, that is nasty. That is not good, right? And that's the same thing God's Word in In practicing in discerning in maturing, God shows us, look, we have uh, sweet potatoes over here, and those are good, or we have uh, steak over here, and that is really good, or we have um, macaroni and cheese, which all little kids love that's good don't don't go for the nasty junk or or when our kids when kids drop food in the sandbox and you're like, "Uh, you should not eat what's going in the sandbox. You don't know what's been there." In the same way for us as Christians, when we begin to eat solid food, God is teaching us what is true. Why? How many of you all as you begin to grow in Christ heard some things that you were like, "Oh, this is great." And then as time went on you realized, "Oh, That sounded good, but as I began to learn the word more, I realized that doctrine has some issues with it, that it sounded good in the beginning, but it wasn't true. And it's the same way with God's word for us as we mature, as we're listening, as we are seeking to diligently hear the voice of God, we're able to discern that which is good and that which is evil. That which is coming from God and that which is coming from man. The, the Kent Hughes said again he said, The mature are those who understand the teaching about righteousness and practice it. And they will be able to make discerning judgment on continual moral issues that arise in life. like We constantly are faced with issues that the Bible doesn't specifically address. I mean, there are things that come up in our life that there might be implications in the Bible, but there's no, like, this is what you should do if this happens. So that's the thing. Like, we have to learn how to take what we're learning in the Word, whether it's in devotions personal time together or in the church that god is teaching us these things why so that we can apply it every day so that when the situation comes where we're like god i don't know what to do this this happened and and i don't know what the bible says specifically about this but when we start to think about what god has taught us then we turn around and say okay lord this is what i believe you're showing me to do I've I've learned your word. I am maturing by your grace and your Holy Spirit's power in me. Lord, give me the discernment to know how to respond to this situation, how to show the love of Christ in this situation, to show the world that you are real and that you have changed me through this situation. Which includes kids. It's really hard with children. Your own especially. (laughs) I say that from experience. Many years of experience? No. <laughs> In the few years that I've experienced children, I realized that my parents might have had to go through a little bit with me. Just a little. <laughs> he had some, one more thing that I really liked, I thought would be helpful. i kind of quoted this before, but those who would move beyond the milk stage and feed on the meat of God's Word must first have a clear doctrinal understanding of the radical righteousness of God. They must understand they are so radically sinful that their own works of righteousness can never save them, and that their hope, their only hope, is the gift of righteousness from God through Christ, which quoted 2 Corinthians 5.21. However, if if one is to increasingly feed on the solid word, there must be more than this doctrinal understanding of righteousness. There must also be practical, righteous living. So we can learn, attain a bunch of knowledge, but if we are not living, what do we become? We just become fat, and it's like somebody who eats a lot but never works out. They don't do any work there. If a couch potato, you no, know, they've been eating potato chips so long that you can't tell the difference between them and the couch. It's, it's like a permanent fixture. That's how, as Christians, we can become. We can become so engorged in the Word of God. We have all this knowledge, but we've never applied it to life. And and I know people like this, that they have, I mean, so much They could tell you everything about books of the Bible, about men of God, but their lives are wrecks, complete spiritual wrecks. So my question for us to end, how do we apply this? So my question is, how do we leave the infant formula behind? And the first thing that I have is preach the gospel to myself. That's kind of the weaning. You know, you, you still give the baby milk while you're giving them real food. Like James is still loves his milk. He still likes that bottle of milk every day, but he also loves the other food. He, he's not content anymore with just milk, he needs more. So it's a slow process. He's, he's drinking milk, but he's also eating solid food. And that's what it's important for us to be constantly reminding ourselves of what the gospel is, that elementary foundation that we see in in Hebrews chapter 6, 1 and 2. Secondly, we can leave infant formula behind when we listen with all we have. That we're not, we're not distracted, which is hard as parents especially, but when we're not allowing distractions to keep us from hearing the Word, that we are zoned in, especially in a, in a church service, but even in our study, personal study time, putting those thoughts of what's going to happen, depending on what time of day you, you do your devotions, but um, whether it's what's going to happen tomorrow or what's going to happen later that day, just saying, Lord, I want to focus on You. And that, listening with all we have requires God's grace. We need to be crying out, God, I have a problem, I, I am so distracted, I live in a world that is so distracted, but I want to know your word, I want to have that relationship with you, I want to be mature, so that I can see others saved and growing in your kingdom. We need to cry out, be, be praying that God would help us listen. And kind of a part of preaching the gospel to ourselves, number three here is: by being fully acquainted with its word of righteousness and living it out. So we need to be—we have a need to have a full understanding of the gospel. We need to have a full foundational understanding of what the gospel is and know how to live it, not just know the right words. So it's a—it's two prong: knowing and living the gospel. And lastly, we can leave infant formula behind by continually applying God's word to all the decisions we make in this life. There may not be a specific verse that you can say, "I'm doing this because Hebrews 5:12 told me so." No. Sometimes there are specific verses that are very clear to us, but Sometimes it takes discernment of the Word. Discernment of, okay, this is what he says here. How does that apply? How does this truth about the character of God apply to everyday life? And the more we apply God's Word to our life, the more discernment we're given. Just as we, I quoted Matthew chapter uh, 13. I think it was 13. 13. Yeah, Matthew chapter 13, that as we are increasing in our maturity, God gives us more and more discernment. Why? Because He knows that we're going to live it out, that we're going to teach others, that we're going to see God using us despite our imperfections, despite the fact that we're humans, that God will use us to change lives. Our, ourselves included, our, our families, our wives, our husbands. But we have to put him first. We have to make him everything. So to end, my question is, are you going to leave infant formula behind, or are you going to keep choking on rice? I've ne- I can't remember choking on rice. I'm sure my mom can remember me choking on rice. But I can remember James choking on rice. Now he can eat it. It's not a problem. We don't have to grind it up anymore. But he had to grow. And just like little children, we want to be bigger. We should, as spiritual children, we should want to be bigger and bigger. We shouldn't be seeking just to be fit in. Just, we want to be like Christ. Instead of looking around us and trying to be like whoever... We like around us, we should be looking to Christ. He is the main and the primary spiritual example for us. So I pray that the Lord encourages you in this. I know it's not an easy message, but I do believe there's hope. And if you want some really good hope, just read the last part of Hebrews chapter 6. He talks about, I'm warning you of this, but I don't believe it's going to happen to you. I believe God has given me this message to keep you from falling away. And I believe that's the point. God gives us hard messages to keep us on the path and to call us forward, call us to to go deeper with Him. So I'll pray and uh, if Bobby wants to lead us in a song, we'll go out rejoicing, I think, that God is doing a work in us and He ha- hasn't left us alone. Father, we just thank You that You do give us Your Word, that we can come and find hope for life every day. That You've given us Your Holy Spirit, that we can hear Your voice and discern what is true. And Father, I just pray that today You would call us to check our hearts, to check our ears, to have a spiritual checkup, Lord, to see if we can hear You. Lord, if we aren't, that we would cry out, that You would open our ears, that You would give us a hunger and thirst for You, that we would not be lazy, but that we would be diligent hearers of Your Word, that we would be diligent about understanding the Gospel, and that as we do that, Lord, that foundation would enable us, Lord, to grow deeper and deeper in relationship with You, that we would enjoy intimacy with You. Lord, help us to encourage one another, to be faithful, to share with others what God is doing in us, what He's showing us. Help us to hear Your voice, Lord. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.